to be in your house today. Amen, amen. Let's just pray real quick if you would stand just for one more moment. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would touch this message today, that it would minister to the hearts of each and every one that receives it, those that will listen to it online or on CD. We ask that they will be blessed as well in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Now, I have read, I'm going to be reading a scripture here in just, just a few moments out of Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, uh, but be, before we do that, uh, for years I have uh, heard of a survey, or several surveys, but one in particular, that uh, talks about how that most car accidents happen within five minutes or less of the driver's home. Now, I, I've, I've read that, and you know... I'm thinking, you know, the, the first time I heard that, the first time I read it, I'm thinking like, well, that's where we drive, drive most of the time anyhow. And so it kind of makes sense. And, but for years, I've just kind of pondered that, and I've wondered why is it that most accidents happen within about five minutes or less from the driver's home? Approximately one-third of all car crashes occur between one and five miles of where the driver li lives. That's what the survey says. Most common, the most, listen to this. Now, the most common type of collision happens within a radius of the driver's uh, home because they are hitting parked cars. So I, I wonder why. Why is it that you're driving down the road and there's a car there a mile or so away from your home parked on the side of the road and you hit it? It kind of just makes me question the ability of the driver, but anyhow. While this is due to the fact that most driving occurs close to home, there is a relaxation that we feel that causes this, uh, and it's caused by repetitious driving through your own neighborhood, and it is likely that that is what is the major contributing factor. So familiarity is the contributing factor we're talking about. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Have you ever heard that? That is actually a proverb, and, and it's explained like this. Extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for them or for it. Another way of looking at it is like this. The using of tools and engaging in other highly dangerous activities were uh, were. Uh, you know, those are some of the things that contribute to the problem and to the danger because we are so used to it. We fail to remain safe by remaining fearful. 
Are you all with me? We fail to remain safe because we fail to remain fearful or at least respectful of the harm or the danger. We become familiar with tools and activities and we become familiar with people and things. Now, reading from Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. My message title this morning is going to be this, The Danger of of the familiar, the danger of the familiar. Have you ever, let me ask you this question, have you ever felt uneasy when you're walking or you're driving in a new place? There's a certain amount of questioning, am I going the right direction or am I taking the right turn or if it's just maybe you, you typically walk around your neighborhood for exercise but you choose a different neighborhood or a different area. There's a certain amount of, of unease that comes along with that. Sometimes walking, I, I will look behind me just because I want to make sure I know what's behind me or who might be behind me. How many have ever gone to a a mall or a grocery store, or maybe you're just walking around your neighborhood and you, you have that uneasy feeling and somebody is there, you're not familiar with them, you don't know them, and there's this unease that comes upon you as you're walking, so you, you stop or you look back. There's been times where I've been walking and going places and I would cross the street because of an uneasy feeling that I had uh, going a particular direction and somebody coming my direction that I don't really know. It's not that I'm afraid of people, because I'm not. But if I can avoid confrontation, I'm going to do so. And so there are times that I will, that I will stop. I'll look around. I'll look over my shoulder. There have been times where I've waited for others to leave watching them because of the feeling or the uneasiness that I got. Now, I've read and preached the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, many, many times. But I believe that there is a story within the story, and that's what I want to talk about today. Now, this man probably walked this road, the road that he was on many times. In fact, I'm going to go back and read the scripture again. It, it says in Luke 10 verse 30, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. It's very likely that this man had walked this road many times before. Maybe he was some sort of a traveling salesman or a businessman that would constantly go from Jerusalem to Jericho, from Jer Jericho to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us how that uh, thieves, uh, in fact, uh, actually we know by history and, of course, by the description of this story, that thieves were common to this road. Most people, and I want you to kind of hear this, you got to grab a hold of this, most people that traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho 
traveled in groups because they knew that there were groups of thieves that frequented this area, that frequented this road. Uh, and to be safe, they would travel with units of people or groups of people. That's just the way they do it because there's safety in numbers, right? And I, I, I wonder, was this just one of those days that this man couldn't wait for another group to leave Jerusalem head, heading towards Jericho? What, was it just one of those days that he couldn't wait? Uh, he knew road he knew the uh, uh, the direction that he was go going uh, and he had traveled it many times before uh, and so maybe he was just thinking well I'm going to take it out on my own uh, I'm going to venture out on my own it's okay I'm not going to wait uh, till the next group comes along uh, but I am going to go ahead uh, and travel down this road so he went off and he was familiar with the road it was well traveled and he told himself, I'll be okay. I can't help but wonder if it was familiarity that caused him to lower his guard that otherwise he would normally have not taken or made that choice. Isn't it those split-second decisions when you pull out without looking or you choose to text while driving because you know this road so very well? Isn't it those split-second decisions that end up often in tragedy. A few year, number of years back now, but in fact, it's been so long I can hardly remember the last time I had an accident. I'm certainly not looking forward to having one any time in the future. But I remember several years ago that I hit a trailer in Farmington. Uh, it, it, you know, it, again, it's been several years back, but I hit a trailer. I was just, I wasn't paying attention. That was just it. I, I had driven on this road time and time and time again, and, and it, was, it was right over next to a, uh, near, near a school. There was a light there, and the guy, they, they had stopped at the light, and I just, I wasn't paying attention. All of a sudden, I looked up, and the trailer was there, and bam, I hit the trailer and knocked it right off the back of the car. And uh, I, I remember that so very well. And there was a cop there, and he ran back to see if everybody was okay. And when he asked me what happened, I said, you know, I have no excuse. I just wasn't paying attention. And I wonder if that's happened to many of you. But I, I drove that road many times. How many times have you had those close calls with an accident or a situation that, thank God, it didn't turn into tragedy, but it was just one of those moments that you were familiar with the road, you were familiar with the area, you were familiar with your car, you were familiar with everything that was going around, and all of a sudden you, you got shocked into reality because something is out of place or something is happening that you hadn't planned on. I believe that's what happened in this man's life. Uh, he chose to go strike out on his own, and uh, yes, it was a common road. Uh, it was a road he he often took, but it was not a road he should have been alone on. It was a road that he should have traveled with other people, but familiarity breeds contempt. He was familiar, he was comfortable when he should not have been familiar and comfortable. And so this unnamed merchant man took, took a chance that a familiar road under familiar circumstances and his gamble ended up badly and in tragedy. Attacked by thieves, beaten so badly that the Bible calls it or describes him as being left half 
dead. Many times I've caught myself doing something that was a close call or a bad decision. And I catch myself actually literally saying to myself, now that was not a very smart move. Uh, I, I don't think I'm alone here. All right, I think I'm probably in a crowd of believers here today that believe the very same thing, that sometimes you just do something and all of a sudden you step back and you say, oh man, that was dumb. That was just not a good thing. Anybody, anybody on this side? Okay. Middle, yeah, anybody? All right, the side over here, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And so, so I've caught myself doing something that w w was a close call. It ended up being a bad decision. Have you ever had a job that was repetitious? And if you've ever had a job that was repetitious, you know what I'm talking about. Putting the same screw into the same part and the same part into the same thing constantly. You're doing it thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day, it seems like, or at least a week. Or you're doing the same thing time and time again. I remember one night several years ago, in fact, it was when I really first started working uh, right out of high school. And I was working for a plastics extrusion plant. And the machines would run all night, and we were there. Basically, we were there to set them up. And then when the product was finished, we would put it on pallets, wrap it up, and put it out in the warehouse. It was, that was a job. It was boring. It was third shift. And I remember being there. These machines are just ch chugging along, during, doing their thing. And I knew it was going to be at least an hour or two till the next set of parts came off the machine. And so I'm thinking, like, I just don't want to sit here any longer. It's boring. It's third shift. I'm tiring. I'm tired. It, Carlos, it's boring. And so I made the decision that I was going to go out into the warehouse and play around with the forklift. And so I jump on the forklift, and I go out into the warehouse, and here I am doing donuts with the forklift. <laughs> Carlos is over there like, yeah, I would do that. So I'm doing donuts with the forklift while the machines are running in the other room, and I cut it just a little too close, and it started to tip over. And so, Sister Shire, I jumped out of the seat, and I pushed it back over. How I, how I did that, I had no idea. But I pushed it back over right as my boss walked through the door. That was one of those, wow, that was a dumb thing to do. Now, I'm really lucky that he was a pretty kind and cool guy. He looked at me and said, were you having fun? I'm thinking, like, not right now, I'm not. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm about ready to get fired here. And he said, well, that wasn't such a smart move, now was it? I said, no, I guess not. He said, maybe you ought not to do that again. And I parked that thing, and I went right back to the machine, and I watched it doing its same old dumb thing hour after hour after hour. Just thankful I still had a job. Amen. Another time I was working at a furniture place. It was a, uh, you know, a furniture retail association, uh, a retail uh, establishment. 
and it had a huge warehouse that was attached to it. So many times people could come and they could buy a sofa, they could buy, you know, a, a recliner or whatever. And, and they had these huge, Carlos, they had, this is another one you're going to like. Um, they had huge, I mean, it was like 30, 40 feet up in the air. They had these huge racks. And way up on the third or fourth le level, way up in the nosebleed session, you might, section, you might have a big couch, big eight-foot couch up there. And so they had these huge flatbed um, uh, pickers. They were, they, were, uh, they were fork trucks, basically, but they were these big flatbed things. And so you'd take it, you'd, you'd put it right near the whatever you were trying to get off of the shelves, and you would rise that thing up, and you would, you know, you were strapped into it. You would sl slide the couch out onto the, onto the bed of the, the vehicle, and then the rules were that you were supposed to lower it to the ground before you drove away. Now, how many, how many know the rules of, you know, gravity and centrifugal force and all those kinds of things? When you get, let's say, a 150-pound uh, sofa 40 feet in the air with a driver up there, the idea is safely bring it to the floor and then move it. But I had, I had gotten so familiar with the job that as I put it on the, the forklift, on the flatbed, I figured, all right, I'm just going to lower this thing as I go. And so 40-some-odd feet in the air, I'm just kind of lowering this as I'm starting to move forward. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks in front of it, and I have to stop quickly, and that thing does this wheelie thing. You know, I'm glad it didn't go over, Brother Brown. Now, he works at a place where people do stuff like this all the time, and he has to fire them. And so, <laughs> well, actually, he does, I think. <laughs> so so I, I realized that it, to stop quick with me and a couch over 30 feet in the air moving at a rate of speed that was faster than I was supposed to be going was not really a smart idea. The thing is, every one of you has similar stories. Every one of you does. You're going to try to use the blender without putting the top on it. Probably not a very good idea. I, I remember one time just as a, as a young kid, I came home after school one day and I looked up above the, above the stove and there's these big, huge yellow spots on the ceiling. My sister might remember this. There's these big, huge yellow spots on the ceiling and I'm looking, wondering what in the world happened and I was talking to my mom and I remember my mom saying, well, I, I was boiling some eggs and I forgot about them. All the water boiled out of the pot, and they exploded and ended up on the ceiling. Does anybody have any stories that you'd like to tell us today? Where just by being familiar or by being comfortable, we have to understand that, yes, accidents happen, and that is true. But there is a danger and familiarity. When you become so comfortable with something that you actually approach being dangerous yourself. Even the most cautious drivers can have an accident. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm one of those drivers 
that thinks all or most of the other drivers out there are awful drivers. I'm always yelling, what were you thinking? There's sometimes when I verge on not being very Christian in the automobile. I'm always yelling, what were you thinking? If, if, if everybody drove like me, there would be a lot of better drivers out there. But familiarity can be good in some instances, but yet it can also be bad. Have you ever caught yourself sitting in church on a Sunday morning thinking, mm, oh, i got to do this, and you even got your pen and paper out. You're writing your list for tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, and you're saying, oh, i got to do this, and i got to do that, and i got to take care of this, and i got to take care of that, all because you've been here before, you've heard preaching before, you got a lot on your mind, and I'm not scolding you, I'm just saying... I've done it. There's been times where I've sat out there, and I am listening to the message. I really am. Uh, but I'm thinking, all right, Lord, you've got to show me what i got to do this weekend. I'm, I'm making a list of all of the stuff that I'm doing. In other words, uh, what happens is your mind at times begins to drift. And so some of you are saying, yeah, you know, I do that all the time when Pastor Tryon is preaching. Anyhow. How many times have you sat in an audience where people are jumping to their feet? And, and, and there's been times where I've, I, I've sat out there. There's an evangelist preaching a message in our church. And I, I'm sitting right over there, right about where Brother Brown is. Uh, and, and people are shouting and jumping because of something the evangelist said. And I'm sitting there, Brother Brown, and I'm starting to steam just a little bit. Uh, I'm trying not to show it. I'm trying not to be angry in public. Uh, but I'm steaming just a little bit inside uh, because in my mind, I'm saying, you're jumping and shouting when he says it, but I said it last Sunday, and you didn't do nothing. I hear people, you know, the, the evangelist is out there. People are going up to him, shaking his hands, saying, wow, that was an awesome sermon. And I'm thinking about walking up there and tapping on the shoulder and saying, about four weeks ago, I preached that same message, and it was way better. Go get the CD. <laughs> Amen. There's a danger in familiarity. And I see real danger when our walk with God becomes nothing more than routine and familiar. And if that's where you're at today, you need to do some surgery on your walk with God. Uh, because if all it is is, well, I go to, go to, go to church Sunday morning, uh, and I'm going to go to church and play some basketball with the men tonight, uh, and I'm going to come out on Wednesday night to Bible study, and I'm really not going to pray all week uh, because I think God's heard all my prayers anyhow. And I'm really not going to read the Word of God because I, I think I've read, it, read the Word of God 20 times. Uh, and so your walk with God, becomes mundane. It becomes familiar. It becomes comfortable when God wants to shake you up and stir you up. And so sometimes you might need to just stop praying the way that you're normally praying and do something entirely different. Wow. 
Maybe you need to stop praying at home for a little while and go out on prayer walks. Or maybe you need to find somebody that will pray with you and pray for you. Maybe you need to join together or do something different. Uh, amen. Whatever what, what I'm trying to say is this. Uh, there is a danger in that routine uh, and the familiar. We read a chapter, pray 15 minutes. And, and, I, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to really bust your bubble. And if that's what you do, that's awesome. You should keep doing it. But if it becomes so familiar that you can read the same chapter four times in a row and get nothing out of it, that's a bad place to be. I mean, let's be honest. I'm going to be real, real, real honest with you. There have been times where I've sat down to read the Bible and I've read a chapter, and I'm thinking, like, I don't even remember a word of what I just read. And so I go back, and I read it again, and there's so much going on in my head that I, I didn't even get anything out of it. And I read it again, and then I read again. Then finally, I just close my Bible and say, God, forgive me, and go to sleep. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds. Notice what he says. I stir up my, your pure minds of remembrance, verse 2, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He writes that and he says, I want to somehow stir up your pure minds. If you struggle with a spirit of familiarity, you need to learn how to better, better manage your walk with God. Break it up. Do it different. Take your Bible and go to the shoreline and pray. Or go walk up to the top of a hill and talk to God for a little while. Walk around the Walmart parking lot and pray uh, in your heart for people you see. But I want to say this, and hear this well. No one backslides overnight. No one walks away from God overnight. They become comfortable, and then they become careless. There can come a time when you feel like I really don't need to pray. There can come a time when you think, I know the Bible, I've heard it preached a thousand times. It's dangerous when you get to a place where you just don't read your Bible and you really don't pray. I remember my own mom many years ago. One day I was talking to her and she had been attending the same church for a long time, and she stopped going uh, on a regular basis. And I said, Mom, what's going on? Why is it that you're not going to church every Sunday? And she said, I've heard every message he's ever preached, and he has it on this cycle. So I'll hear it every year or two, but I've heard every message he's ever preached. And so I can almost quote what he's going to say next just because I've heard the message time and time again. When she said that, that shocked me. Because I began to think, you know what, how many times have I read the same scripture 
where I could read it one day, the next day I could read it again, and I get something entirely different out of it. Has anybody ever had that, where you could read the same chapter, you could hear a message? And you know one thing I appreciate? The Bible talks about the foolishness of preaching, and, and uh, th that we're saved by the foolishness of preaching. Why is that? I, and I, I always struggle with that, because I'm thinking, what I do every Sunday morning is foolish? Oh, Lord, help me. But anyhow, uh, what, I, what I'm trying to say is this, uh, that one thing I have learned, one thing I have found is that every person in the sanctuary, every person that is there that is hearing the message has a different need and a different approach in their life. Uh, so what I, what I might be preaching that somebody receives over here is going to be received a little differently over there and a little differently over there. It's the same message, but uh, it's being applied because of where you're at in your life and your walk with God. Uh, and so I say that to say this, uh, that if you will keep reading your Bible and if you will keep praying uh, and keep your attitude right and try not to be just familiar with the Word of God, uh, but let God approach Approach it. Uh, approach your life and your walk with God. Is God, uh, I need to be changed. I need you to do something new in me. I need you to wake me up. I need you to shake me. I need you to do a miracle in me. I think sometimes we literally need to pray for ourselves. Lord, help me to not be comfortable with my walk with God. Amen. I wonder if the injured man in the story of the Good Samaritan is like so many of us. He just said, I can strike out on my own. I've been here before. I know where to be cautious. I know what to be afraid of, but I can just do it on my own. I'm going to talk about something in a few minutes that I think is very paramount to what God is doing in our day and in our, our hour. But walking, people who walk around isolated, uh, and people who walk around and isolate themselves or are put in isolation tend to become comfortable. And so what's, happen, what's happening, I believe, is this. Some Christians are kind of like the Good Samaritan. They think they're okay all on their own. I can make it. I can do it. I don't need any brothers and sisters. I don't need anybody. I don't need a preacher. I don't need to hear the word of God. I don't need to pray because I can do this on my own. Well, let me be very transparent with you today. I can't do this on my own. Satan loves for people to feel isolated. He speaks into people's minds, and he speaks thoughts of anger and division, thoughts that make you feel justified in pulling back and defriending people. They think that they can do it on their own, and they don't need anybody else, but it's not true. We don't know what this man was thinking. Maybe it was overconfident, or maybe he felt pride that he could do it on his own. But if he had a brother with him, if he had a friend with him, if he was in a group, he would not have been attacked. Was he thinking, I can do this on my own? I don't need anybody. I wonder if that's what he was thinking. 
But the Bible says God's word said a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. The other day I was looking up what the antonyms are the opposite of unity. The word unity is. And the opposite of unity is confusion. It is tension. Listen to these. It is, uh, the opposite of unity is confusion. It's tension. It's disconnectedness. It's disjointedness. It's incompatibility. It's dissonance. So I want to say this, two things. First of all, unity is God at work. Disunity is either the flesh or Satan at work. That's as simple as you can break it down. Unity is God at work. Disunity is when my flesh is at work or when Satan is at work because he knows that if he can get you away from the people of God, if he can get you away from the covering of the pastor in your life, that he can destroy you. The parable in Luke 10 starts with a question from a lawyer. And verse 25 it says, Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do thou shalt live. Verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? You ought to underline that in your Bible. He asked the Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which, he goes on, says, stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So that's when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the story of the Good Samaritan is an answer to the question, who is my brother? Or who is my neighbor? I want you to look to your right. If you can, anybody, everybody know which one is your right? This one. Or that one. Okay. That's your neighbor. Now look to your left. That's your neighbor. But you know what? That's not your only neighbor. Sister Deborah, you got people on your right and left, but you know what? Your neighbor's over there. Now, your neighbor doesn't have to be your same skin color. It doesn't have to be your same nationality. Amen? Brother Duru's my neighbor. Now, he lives on the other side of town, but he's my neighbor. So who's your neighbor? Every single person in here is your neighbor. 
But just in case you don't mind me busting your bubble a little bit, it's not just the people that are in here. Your neighbors where you, where you live are your neighbors. Uh, the lady walking down the street pushing that stroller is your neighbor. The person you meet at the, at the grocery store is your neighbor. The person that's got the flat tire on the side of the road is your neighbor. we got to get a hold of this, saints of God. We've got to learn this. Who is my neighbor? Every single person in the world has the potential to be my neighbor. And we get so familiar that we love our cloistered little groups of people. We always go to lunch with the same people. We always hang around with the same people. Because it's familiar and it's comfortable. And in doing so, if we hang around with our same little group, nobody else will find out how weird we are. There's nothing wrong with being weird. I kind of think it's fun. I love being weird. I don't want to be like anybody else. I'm not, I'm not going to try to be like I'm me. I'm going to joke with you. I'm going to laugh with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to scold you if I need to scold you. Because I'm your friend. I love you. But I'm going to be me. And if all I'm ever going to do is stay in my little group, then I'm never going to be able to touch or minister to anybody else. My little group of three or four. You know what? Sometimes we ought to just really break it up. Uh, you know, I've said this a couple times before. If you sit in the same seat in the church all the time, maybe you ought to just break it up next Sunday and sit on the other side of the church. There's some pretty cool people over there. It's, it's been a few weeks since I've preached, so I'm getting a little surly here, all right? But we, we sit in the same chair because we think we bought it with our tithes and offerings. My chair! And God forbid a visitor comes to church. Carlos is getting it. Nobody else is getting it yet. But I want you to think about this. God forbid somebody comes to church and they sit in my chair. You come walking up and say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, my chair, move over. Maybe it ought to be a little uncomfortable in here right now because we need it to get a little uncomfortable. Because we really need God to stir us up and touch our lives and change us. And I don't feel like this is ever a problem here, but I'm just going to do a little preemptive strike. If a visitor comes and sits in your chair, go sit somewhere else. They're all made by the same company. So it doesn't matter if it's this one or that one. Somebody smile. <laughs> we need to understand, you know, we need to be, we need to break out of that comfort zone where when somebody comes new to church, we're, hey, let's go out to lunch this afternoon. We, you know, I mean, maybe they can't, not, you know, the, uh, whatever, but, you know, if somebody is new coming to church, you know what, just get out of your comfort zone and invite them to Burger King. That went over really well. 
Right, maybe I need to change to Wendy's. All right, let's say it again. All right, so, so somebody new comes to church, invite them to Wendy's. Well, that didn't go over too well either. What's a, what's a more popular restaurant? Muya. Yeah, how about Muya? Red Robin's good? Yeah, oh, no, Red Robin. Let's do Red Robin. All right, so somebody new comes to church, invite them out to Red Robin. Now we're getting there. All right. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying is uh, that if we do the same thing that we do over and over and over again, that re- that repetitious, that, that familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, and I want God to shake me up. Uh, I'm not willing to go to God, uh, amen, the same way I was yesterday. I want God to change me. In fact, I need God to change me. I need God to do miraculous things in my life. Amen. So the lawyer was was about to learn a valuable lesson. The lawyer asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The answer was, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And that's true. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's when the lawyer said, who is my neighbor? That's when Jesus tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe if we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan in terms of discipleship, we'll understand it better. Um, The man fell among thieves. He he could have prevented the accident or, or prevented what happened if he had other people with him. I want you to hear this. I'm not going to heaven alone. So can I ask you a question? Who are you going to bring to heaven with you? I knew it would get quiet with that one. Who are you mentoring? Who are you trying to win? Who are you talking to right now about giving their life to God? You say, well, I'm not sure I want the world to rub off on me. I feel really sad that your Christianity is that weak. I'm not justifying going to clubs and things like that. I'm just trying to tell you, amen, that that you ought to be comfortable enough or uh, you ought to be strong enough in your walk with God to know that, that you don't have to let the world rub off on you, that you are going to rub off on them. Can I ask you a question? What are you afraid of? And so, so, the, when, when, when he asks a question, the Lord says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, then he says, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you think you're gonna, if you think you're gonna make it to heaven alone, you're wrong. And so, as I said a moment ago, who are you going to bring with you? Who are you mentoring? In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron sharp as iron, so that a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I want you to hear this. If you have a friend that refuses to let you mess up, you better keep that friend. If you have a friend uh, that is going to stand nose to nose with you and say, stop it, you better appreciate that friend. Because they're going to still love you, but they're going to correct you in the process. I don't want my friends going to hell.
I hope that you have a friend that will not only love you, but will disagree with you. If you think the only friends you have are, you know, what stirs me up, what really bothers me is we try to get yes people around us all the time. We try to get yes people that will always endorse what we're thinking, endorse what we're saying, no matter how crazy and stupid it is. We want somebody to say, oh, yes, okay, you're great, you're wonderful, you're the best thing since sliced bread. When we ought to get a good kick in the pants. Probably shouldn't have said it that way. I'm, I'm going to reap repercussions from that one. But anyhow, you, you understand what I'm trying Sometimes we just need somebody to say, you know what? Uh, I love you, but I don't agree with you. You're wrong. A good friend is going to be a friend that's going to grab a hold, us, uh, a hold of us uh, when they see us just wandering and, and doing our own thing and seemingly like we're walking away from God, but we just haven't walked out the door yet. And a good friend is going to walk up to us and say, you need to pray more. You need to be more faithful to the house of God. You need to do better in your walk with God. Amen. Praise God. That we, we need a church, and we need, we need the church, and we need each other. And, and so who, can I ask you, who are you bringing with you? But when I go back to the idea of familiarity, the danger of familiarity, the danger of being familiar in our walk with God is we can get to a place where we're no longer afraid of sin. And if you're in the church and you're not, you are no longer afraid of sin, you need to run to the altar and not just walk to the altar. Amen. It went, we, we, we are in danger when we are not afraid to be in rebellion. Amen. We don't, we, 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 we understand the injured man and, and his, his, his plight, and, but when I began to think about him, I began to think how he walked away from his covering. He walked away from those that loved him and cared and said, I'm going to go on this walk alone, and I'm going to be alone. He walked away from his covering. He walked away from the protection. Now, I, I know some people believe that opening an umbrella inside a building is bad luck, but I don't believe in luck. So, if it's raining outside, you need something to keep you from getting wet. Now, I know there's some of the cool people. We don't have many teenagers in here today. The teenagers are too cool to have an umbrella. They'll go to school soaking wet. They'd rather, they'd rather be soaking wet all day than have an umbrella. Listen, the middle school is right down the road here. All right, I watch these kids when it's 20 degrees outside in a T-shirt. Hello, y'all still here? Because wearing a coat is not cool. And so their exposed plumber's butt is freezing. Mr. Ellen, okay? Oh, she just had an attack of some kind over there. I mean, they're freezing half to death, but they're cool. 
I don't mean cold, I mean cool, like macho. You understand? And, and, and they're just doing their thing. They're walking down the road because it's too cool to wear a coat. And they're freezing to death and they're going to have no pneumonia for a month. But they're still cool. Hello? But we think we can walk away from God. We think we can walk away from prayer and from reading the word of God. It's like walking out into the rain and saying, come get me. And we think we can walk away from the Lord and we don't realize that you're going to walk right out from underneath the protection of a pastor and a ministry team that loves you and cares about you and that prays for you every single week, every single day. They're praying, but we think, oh, you know what? I can do this on my own. I can walk with God. I don't need the preacher. You know what? I need the preacher. I'm thankful for every time. I'm going to have somebody else put that away. But I'm thankful for every time I hear the preaching of the word of God because in my mind I'm praying, God, I need this. Uh, people here, you know, we, we preach the message of the Good Samaritan and people say, man, I heard that about a thousand times. Uh, I'm not going to get anything else out of it. I've seen it from this angle and from that angle and from every single angle I've ever seen it. I've been able to see it uh, or hear it, heard it preached. Uh, I remember years ago, and I'm finishing up here in just a moment, but I remember years ago and I got an email from a young man that got saved in our church uh, and he moved Moved up to Maine, and, and he's been in the church up there, and thank, thankful he's still there, still serving the Lord. Uh, but one day he emailed me, sent me a message, and said, Pastor, can you send me some messages? Uh, and what, so what was sad was this. Uh, he said, my pastor preaches the same message every single Sunday, every Sunday the same message. And I said, well... I doubt what you're telling me is true. No, no, no. He always talks about repentance. Every service, repentance. Every service, repentance. In the back of my mind thinking, when's the last time you tried it out? Because maybe if you tried it out, you'd love your pastor a little bit more. And so I just told him, I said, listen. You need to embrace the word of God. And even if, you know what, if you've got a lot of visitors to your church and it always seems like they're preaching Acts 2.38, well, you know what, learn to love Acts 2.38 because it's what's going to save you anyhow. Amen. So we have got to grab a hold of the fact, uh, amen, that we have a protection from God. If somebody could get the musician, I think they're... Uh, out in the Sunday school room, but uh, amen, we need that protection, we need God, uh, and so my message today is about the danger of the familiar, there's such a danger, and just like this man, just like the good Samaritan, uh, I mean not the good Samaritan, but the man that was injured, uh, same road, day in and day out, he had gotten so comfortable that this time he was going to do it all on his own, uh, and there he was out, uh, where people could, uh, could not only rob him, 
but beat him to the point where he was half dead. Uh, I believe God wants to shake us up and change us. Uh, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, I believe God wants us to do surgery on our own hearts and in our own minds. Uh, we need God desperately to touch us. Uh, we need him to minister to us. We need him to walk amongst us. Uh, and so uh, my prayer today is, God, uh, don't help me ever become so familiar with my walk with God, with my relationship with you, that I take you for granted. My prayer is, God, if you've got to stir me up, then stir me up, uh, because I'm not going to stumble into heaven. I say, I'll say it again, I am not going to stumble into heaven. I'm not going to make it there by accident. Uh, I'm going to get there because I've dedicated my life to the Lord and I've followed him to the best of my ability. Amen. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful. Amen. I want to hear those words. Uh, I don't want to hear those words, oh, you barely made it, uh, but we're glad you're here. No. Uh, amen. I'm Brother Brown, I'm not going to barely make it to heaven. Uh, amen. I'm not going to. I refuse to barely make it to heaven. I'm going to make it there. I don't ever want to become familiar with my relationship with the Lord. So I wonder this morning, is there anybody that feels the need to talk to the Lord as we open up this altar? And there are some that are new here today and don't feel like you have to come, but you're more than welcome to. Amen. But it is our tradition if you feel like that there's something in the message that you've heard this morning, then let's take it to the Lord. Let's let the Lord talk to us this morning. Amen. And if you're not going to come to the altar, pray where you're at. But let's ask, let's ask God to touch us because we need God to shake us, mold us, and remake us into his image. The musicians are going to begin to play, and the praise singers are going to be begin to lead us in worship. I wonder if there's anybody here that's so dangerously comfortable in your walk with God right now that it would take almost nothing to push you away from Him. Jesus, talk to us today. Touch us, God, and change our lives. Oh, in the name of Jesus, is there anybody that needs to talk to Him? Is there anybody that needs to come and rededicate your life, rededicate your walk with God? Jesus. Pass me by. Go their way. Just to walk with Him means everything. Altar workers, if you could come help us pray. With him means everything to me. Just to know he's near, his hand is leading me.
anybody else. Come help us today. There's somebody that can help us pray. There's others in the altar here. Jesus. Jesus. Touch us, God. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to revolutionize our walk with you, Jesus. Help us to become disciple makers. Help us to disciple others and work with others, Lord, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God, I need you to touch my life. It's vital, so vital for me. I must be saved. I must walk with you, Jesus. I may not be comfortable with my walk with God anymore. Help me, stir me, change me, remake me, Jesus.
sing that as a prayer.